0: If you ask Christians if they'd like to give more, the answer is always yes. So why don't they? Hi, I'm Rob West. Western civilization's concept of charity is actually based on Christian values. It didn't exist before the spread of the gospel. But what's holding us back today? I'll talk about that with Ron Blue, and then it's on to your questions at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is Money Wise Live, biblical wisdom for your financial decisions. Well, our guest today is financial teacher and author Ron Blue, my personal friend and mentor. Ron, delighted to have you back in the studio. Uh, Good to see you again, Rob. I'm delighted to be here. Well, Ron, you've often written and talked about obstacles to giving more that folks may not realize they can overcome. Uh, Today, we'll talk about three of them. But first, tell us how you came to this realization that people often have more giving power than they even realize. Well, you know, Rob, God showed me something
1: with the very first client that I had, uh, and it has proven true to now for 40-some years to be consistent. When I first set up shop as a financial planner, my first paying client was a man who and his wife who said that their goal was to give a million dollars and to retire as soon as possible in order to give their time to the mission field. Okay. And they wanted to maintain their lifestyle, which was reasonable. It was not um, a real fancy. It was just a reasonable lifestyle. They were giving 15%. I asked him what his net worth was, and he said about $350,000. And what his income was, and he said about $85,000 per year. And that Mm -hmm. was in the early 1980s. Wow. And he and his wife wanted to give a million dollars.
0: Which uh, seems
1: out of reach. So uh, were they able to do that? Yes, they were. As I gathered their information, what I found was Uh, that they had a lot more assets than what they thought, which is pretty typical. Most people know what their income is, but they don't really know all that they own and all that they owe. And I was able to call he and his wife and say, you better sit down because I think you can give a million dollars. Wow! And I showed him that if they gave away some of their property, Mm. they would lower their taxes without lowering cash. And lowering their taxes increased their cash. So that allowed them to give more. And when you ran that out over five years, they were able uh, to, and, that, and that's important. They took a long-range view. Yes. And you ran it out over five years, they were able to give two hundred thousand a year away. Uh, and they still maintain their lifestyle. And as a matter of fact, their net worth remained the same also pretty much. incredible. Well,
0: well, that really highlights these one of the three reasons we're going to mention that Christians don't give more, and that is that people aren't aware of what they have. As you said, they weren't even aware of the giving potential they had through their balance sheet because of their assets. But the second is they're not aware of the ways to give. Talk about that. Well, uh,
1: many times uh, they can give property, for example. That was one of the things. Uh, they could have given stock yeah. uh, that had appreciated in value, and both of those things avoid the capital gains tax. That's probably one of the biggest mistakes that I think people make in their giving. They don't realize that they can give off their balance sheet yes. certain things, and it's not limited to real estate and, uh, and stock, it could even be a business interest yes. that somebody could give. That's great.
0: And we know that uh, giving fund through our friends of the National Christian Foundation, what's otherwise known as a donor advised fund, is one of the most powerful tools in all of this to accomplish what you're describing. Uh, all right. Well, then there's the third reason, though, Ron, and that is that they didn't have a plan. And that's what you gave them.
1: That's exactly right, and that's uh, people we found over time, Rob, that people could give five times more than what they thought mm. just by having a plan to give. So most people are reactive in their giving rather than proactive in yes. their giving. So they don't plan to give, and consequently, they don't give what they could give.
0: And this is significant, Ron. You said in your experience, you found that folks through a plan could give five times what they were planning to give prior to the giving. And that really is a game changer. Well, folks, if you want a plan that can help you do what Ron is describing, so you understand what you have and how you can give it away and what the plan looks like to support it, perhaps a certified kingdom advisor is what you need. You can find a CKA at moneywise.org. Just click the button that says find a CKA. Ron, really great to have you. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks, Rob. Financial teacher and author Ron Blue was with us today. Your calls are next. 800-525-7000. That's 800- 525-7000. This is Money Wise Live, where God's Word informs every financial decision. Much more just around the corner. Stick around. to have you with us today on Money Wise Live, biblical wisdom for your financial decisions. I'm Rob West, your host, taking your calls and questions today on anything financial. We'd love to hear from you. 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. We've got lines open. Let's head right to the phones. Houston, Texas. Tina, you're our first caller today. Go right ahead.
2: Hi. I recently retired from the school system and I have... um, two of my funds in 403Bs, and I'm trying to decide where would be the best place to put them. I do have an account, a brokerage account that's already opened up. It's um, a Roth account, and then I have just a regular account. So my question is, could all of that be transferred into the Roth? It's a kind of Roth where the taxes are taken off up front. So I wasn't sure if I should put it in that Roth or open up an IRA or another Roth for them. It's about sure. uh, 72,000.
0: Okay. And that's in the 403B, 72,000?
2: Yes. It's in in separate ones though. It's like two 403Bs. One is um, 12,000 and like 12,998. And then the other sure. is about 60 okay. uh, something thousand.
0: Very good. And that's not the Roth version of the 403B, correct?
2: Uh the one that I have opened up at the brokerage account.
0: Well no, the four three B is not a a Roth, correct? No.
2: No, okay. not with the yeah. school, no. It's okay, not.
0: very good. Uh, yeah, so since you're no longer with the school, uh, it probably makes sense to go and roll that out to a traditional IRA. You do have the ability to convert that to a Roth. I wouldn't recommend it if you're still working, and you really don't get the added benefit of the years of tax-free compounding that you get in the Roth, so probably best to leave that in a tax-deferred environment, which means you will pay tax on it as it comes out because it went into the 403 pre-tax. So essentially, once you roll that over, Tina, to the new IRA, you're going to have two accounts. You'll have one Roth with the existing uh, funds that you opened at the brokerage firm, and then you'll have the traditional IRA, which will receive the rollover funds from both 403 Bs, putting it all together in one place. And then you would manage it that way. And then in retirement, depending on the tax code and whether you're still working and so forth, you could decide, do I want to pull from the pre-tax money, uh, the the, traditional IRA, or do I want to pull from the Roth bucket? And you'd have both options. And then the key would be getting those invested in a way that makes sense for your goals and objectives. You could do that kind of on your own with some high-quality mutual funds or index funds. You could use what's called a robo-advisor solution, where essentially it manages it for you using a, an algorithm that builds a low-cost indexed approach to investing. Or you could hire an advisor to actually take a more proactive pro- approach to managing those funds. But in any case, you would still have the two accounts, the traditional and the Roth. Does that make sense?
2: It does make sense.
0: Good. Yeah, so I think that's your next step. and You just contact the plan administrator, let them know once you've opened that new IRA and you've made the decision on how you're going to manage it, where they're going to be transferring it, you complete that paperwork, and they'll get that rolled out. So it should be a fairly simple process. Uh, are you retiring or are you going to be working somewhere else?
2: No, I actually just retired. I retired to help with my uh, aging mother who needs care. But I I would like to eventually maybe get something that's part-time while I help assist with her.
0: Yeah, very good. And are you going to need to draw an income from either of these accounts, or do you have your income covered with another solution?
2: Well, I'm getting teacher retirement.
0: Okay, very good.
2: It's okay right now. I do have another question. Do I have time to ask the question? Yes, ma'am. Go
0: right ahead. Mm -hmm.
2: I have um, a saving, I mean, an emergency fund like you recommend. Sure. It's just in a savings account and it's not really gaining much interest. So do you recommend the online banking banks or what would
0: you suggest? I do, just because you're going to get a much better yield on your savings account. So, for instance, at Marcus right now, which is the retail operation of Goldman Sachs, uh, on their high-yield savings, it's up to 1.7 percent and going to be continuing to head higher as rates head higher. And that's with no fees, no account maintenance fees, and still all the protections of a brick-and-mortar bank, FDIC insurance and so forth. So that's why I like the online banks, because they're able to pass a lot of that savings on in the form of no fees and higher uh, yields on their saving and uh, bank products. Uh, So you just head to marcus.com or Capital One 360 or Ally Bank. Any of those three I think would serve you well. And you can link that right up to your checking account electronically so you're never more than a couple of days away from the money through an electronic ACH transfer.
2: Great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, Tina. It.
0: God bless you. Thanks for calling today. 800-525-7000. We've got a few lines open for you. Let's head to Miami. Mark, thanks for calling. Go ahead, sir.
3: Hi. Good morning. Um, thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. I have sir. a question. Um, my question was, I went to a uh, Slam And um, so they do have all my information because I have a card with them that's their short. And um, I was at the line, and one of the one of the came to me and said, hey, would you like to save 30% today? And I said, I mean, of course, everybody want to save. And then she does something, and um, and they say, oh, wow, you qualify. I'm like, uh, qualify for what? And then she said, the credit card. I said, no, I don't want no more credit card. And she said, oh, you don't want it? I said, no, no more credit card. So she said, okay, I uh, uh, finished off and went home. And after two days, I received a, a letter stating that, Oh you um, we give you the walk, uh, the wrong percentage we would like for you to get uh, a better rate at your credit card and not my credit card, and then seven days later, I receive a credit card on my name uh, from that from that club and I'd like to know if I can cancel that credit card without it affecting my credit since they already run my credit without my permission
0: yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, the key is I would I would call them right away and just let them know what happened. They're going to have an online r- a recording of that call because you would have had to authorize them verbally to pull your credit, and they wouldn't have extended the credit card uh, without pulling your credit. The process of you authorizing a lender to pull your credit for the purposes of evaluating your credit worthiness is what's going to put a hard inquiry on your credit file, which would cause your credit uh, score to drop. Temporarily. Temporarily. Um, it's just a function of the algorithm that determines you know what your score is it has a part of it that factors in the fact that you're out there looking for new credit uh, the credit card itself is not going to be a problem it's actually going to increase your overall credit limit um, and closing it is going to have a negligible impact that you know will recover in a short period of time but what's the bigger issue is if you didn't authorize this then you know there's a, a real breakdown in going on there that you need to call call attention to because uh, they need to uh, hopefully uh, correct this with the credit reporting agencies and, and cancel this in such a way that it was never issued to you. Um, so I would uh, call them back right away and just let them know that uh, you believe a credit card was extended to you uh, without your approval and have them do the research on what transpired during that call. Again, there should be a recording of that information that they can reference and uh, see if they can record that, both in terms of closing it out in such a way that uh, it appears like it was never issued, and then clearing that up with the credit bureau. Does that make sense? I I was, I yeah, I'm having a little trouble hearing you, Mark, but uh, I, I think that will be your next step. If you have the trouble once you contact them and you have a question, feel free to give us a call back. You can also report this to the Federal Trade Commission if they can't resolve it, but hopefully it was just a simple error that can be resolved, but I would uh, go ahead and reach out right away. We appreciate you checking with us. This is Money Wise Live, biblical wisdom for your financial decisions. We're going to pause for a break. When we come back, more of your questions at 800-525-7000. We'll be right back. Welcome back to MoneyWise Live. Rob West, your host, taking your calls and questions today. We'd love to hear from you. Let's head back to the phones. Chattanooga, Tennessee. Linda, go right ahead.
4: Hi. Thank you both so much for taking my call today. I am. Um I have a quick question. I'm in the process of decluttering, uh, a good thing. However, I have run up on the file that has a lot of my receipts where my husband and I have given to ministries over the years. And a lot of these ministries do not give an end of the year like statement that we can um, kind of put with our tax documents showing that we, you know, Uh, Did give this amount. And so uh, I've held on to these receipts for a long time. So is that necessary? I mean, in the event that there's an audit of some kind, I mean, should I have to produce those?
0: Yeah. Generally speaking, we would, you would hear that you need to keep documents for at least three years. I would say a minimum of five years, you know, for uh, generally you'd want to keep donor records for a minimum of five years in order to comply with the IRS uh, requirements. But, you know, they're not uh, totally clear about, you know, how long you are required to keep them. I think it's just a good practice to uh, hang on to those for at least five years. And, uh, if you can store them securely, that way you can always back, go back and justify what you've done. But I feel like, you know, that probably is a reasonable time period for you to do so.
4: Okay, then. And it's not likely that um, we could contact that particular ministry, say, for 2019, and they would give us a, maybe a letter at that point.
0: Yes, that's right, and I think that's the key is that if – Whatever documentation you have, I would certainly hang on to that. If you're lacking some documentation, I don't know that for years ago I would go out and try to recreate that, but I think whatever you've got, I would keep in a secure place. Hopefully you have a fireproof safe where you can keep these records uh, for the appropriate amount of time, and that way if you ever needed to defend what you've done and uh, in terms of your tax reporting, that you would have the documentation to do so.
4: Okay. It sounds great. Thank you. Very good. Thank
0: you for calling, Linda. God bless you. Uh, To Charleston, South Carolina, Jeff, thanks for calling. Go ahead.
5: Yeah. This is Jeff Wade. A question for you.
0: Yeah, go ahead, Jeff.
5: Yeah. We've got about a half a million dollars just sitting in cash. Well, it's actually in the market uh, 60, 40 stocks and bonds. Not earning a whole lot, of course, right now. We're, uh, my wife's retired. I'm about to retire. Trying to decide what to do with those funds as we go into retirement. Our our pensions and Social Security more than cover our expenses. So I'm just trying to figure out what to do with that. Very, con- Both of us are very conservative. So what sure. are your thoughts, sir?
0: Yeah, Jeff, are, do you have somebody managing this, or are you handling this money yourself?
5: No, we've got ma- someone manage it, yes.
0: Okay, and roughly, how much do you have in this portfolio or portfolios?
5: It's about five hundred thousand.
0: Okay, and what would you say the breakdown is, Jeff? Roughly between stocks and bonds?
5: Um, it is sixty forty.
0: And sixty in bonds, or stocks? Yeah,
5: yeah. 60 in bonds. Yeah. Okay, no, very good.
0: Yeah, and what kind of downside have you experienced this year in the market?
5: Uh, this year, while we like everybody else, we were down eighteen percent. Now yeah. we're down about tenish, I think. Last I checked. Of course, okay. this week hasn't been good either. But
0: yeah, and you're not planning on touching this money anytime soon. It's going to be free to continue to grow. Is that right?
5: Yeah, this is intended to go to the kids and grandkids and church. Yeah.
0: Yep. Okay. Yeah, I think the one thing you could do, given that you're trying to be more conservative with this, would be to move toward, you know, perhaps as the market recovers uh, over the balance of this year and into next year, or if we were to see a recovery, you know, even that's temporary in the next couple of months, perhaps getting to what is a more palatable allocation for the longer term, I think would be important. So if you guys feel like, you know, even at 60-40, given that 18% downside you experienced, if you you'd like to limit uh, that downside exposure, you might want to move to more of a 70-30 type approach again as the portfolio recovers. And then that puts you in a position where, you know, if we were to go through this again, you feel better about how you're positioned, but you can still keep the long term in mind. Because given that your income is covered, and this is money that can grow to be given away or left as an inheritance, you want to outpace inflation because you're losing purchasing power with this money all the time. Um, And so you want it to grow, but you also don't want to open those quarterly or monthly statements and kind of have some (laughs) uh, consternation as a result of the the volatility. And so I think, you know, moving toward that 70-30 model in concert with, you know, conversations with your advisor probably would make some sense and give you a little bit more peace of mind. Uh, How does that sound, though?
5: That sounds pretty good. We are 65 and 70. Where does that relative to... That age, is, is the 70 where you think we should be?
0: Uh, Yeah. So, you know, we typically use the, um, you know, 110 minus your age just because people are living longer. So at 65, you know, it'd be a 45 percent allocation to stocks. At 70, it'd be a 40 percent allocation to stocks, which is where you are now. The question is, do you want to be on the more conservative end of that rule of thumb? And it sounds like perhaps you do, especially given the fact that, you know, your income is covered. It gives you an opportunity to uh, just posture yourself, uh, you know, a little bit more conservative which is going to limit your downside even more. This has been an unusual period because, as the interest rates have been rising, the bond prices have been falling with the stocks, which just kind of was uh, impacting you from both sides. So, I think you're probably in a good range right now. You're certainly not, uh, you know, out of bounds by any means. But I think getting a little bit more conservative moving forward would probably serve you well given the fact that you want to be conservative. So uh, that'd probably be the place that I would go, but I'd talk to your advisor about it as you make that final decision. But listen, all the best to you guys, Jeff, in this next season as you think about retirement and what God has for you next. We appreciate you checking in with us. Folks, we're going to take a quick break. We've got some great questions coming up. Lines are open for perhaps your question today, 800-525-7000. Give us a call. This is MoneyWise, and we'll be right back. Delighted to have you with us today on Money Wise Live. Biblical wisdom for your financial decisions. 800-525-7000 is the number to call. Let's head right back to the phones. Agnes in Plainfield, Illinois. Go right ahead.
6: Yeah, um, thank you for my uh, receiving my call. My question is, I'm getting the life insurance on my uh, dead husband, and they told me it's tax-free. If I get that money and put it in the bank before I decide what to do with it, would I incur another tax uh, at the end of the year? And uh, no, I don't know.
0: Yeah, uh, no, that, that's still- correct. Uh, as the beneficiary uh, of uh, life insurance policy, uh, those life insurance proceeds, Agnes, are not included in your gross income. You don't have to report them, and uh, it is not taxable.
6: Okay, my second question is, the pension, they just, I just got a letter that my husband was receiving a pension from a fund. I don't know how much the total amount. I, well, I'm asking, is there an option rather than monthly payment to me, like rolling it over to an hour, is that an option?
0: Yes. You'll need to check with them as to the options they're making available to you. You'll likely have the option to receive that as a monthly benefit uh, or roll it out as a lump sum to an IRA. And at that point, you would just need to go ahead and open that IRA. You would decide where you want uh, that to be housed, where who your custodian will be. And largely, that'll be driven by, do you want to have an advisor who's managing it, or do you want to manage that and select the investments yourself? But once that IRA is open, then you would just have them issue uh, that uh, rollover from the pension into the IRA, which is not a taxable event until you begin taking a portion of it out. You could also ask them about the option to receive uh, a monthly check. But I'd probably opt for, and I don't know all the details of what they would give you for either, Um, so you'd want to explore that and perhaps have an advisor look at that with you. But um, I would, uh, you know, look at the option of, um, you know, rolling that over as a lump sum so you have access to the full amount as opposed to just taking the monthly check, although both options uh, should be available to you.
6: Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Okay. All right, Agnes, God bless you. We appreciate your call today. Uh, Let's head, uh, well, we'll stay in Illinois, WMBI Hoffman Estate. Kathy, go right ahead.
7: Oh, good afternoon. Thank you so much for taking my call. So my question is I have a pretty good credit um, score, 820, but I'm wondering how do I go about to increase my credit limits?
0: Yeah, so you're looking for an increase in your credit limit uh, for what type of credit? A credit limit increase for credit cards, or are you looking for some other type of loan?
7: Well, I'm going to be starting the LLC. Actually, I'm looking into starting an LLC soon. and As I was doing my research, one of the things that was mentioned was having a higher credit limit is a good yeah. place to start.
0: Yeah, yeah. The challenge is the the type of debt that you would be using. I mean, if it's a brand new business, you're going to have trouble, uh, you know, getting some sort of line of credit to be able to use for the business exclusively. If you're looking at relying on credit cards, you know, it's one thing to just fund the monthly cash flow needs as the build business grows, and you're trying to you know build equipment or or take on equipment or uh, other things you need for the business, but you've got a good Steady income coming in. The challenge is, you know, businesses often that are new take longer uh, than you had anticipated to get up and running, and can be more costly. Um, and so that's where I would just be very careful. Uh, but in terms of you know a business credit card or even a personal credit card, you could simply call and ask for a credit limit increase. Uh, my concern, though, Kathy, is just making sure you use that really responsibly.
7: Okay. All right. Okay, yeah. thank you so much for your help.
0: All can right, I ask Kathy. you one more question? Yeah, sure, go right ahead.
7: So I did take your, your um, advice, and I opened an I bond, but now I'm thinking about opening one for my niece. She is 10 years old. Um, but if I do that, is it trans, can I take it out maybe after two years and then move it into stocks and bonds for her?
0: Yes, you can. So it would have to come out and uh, and go into a similar titled account. So essentially it would be a custodial account that uh, you would open for her. Uh, it would you would be the one opening the account, but in custody for her, and then at the age of majority, that becomes her money. So if you opened a similar account with the same title, a, a custodial account for your niece, at let's say a brokerage firm, then you could essentially redeem the proceeds and then make a transfer uh, into the other account that's like titled, and then at that point you could uh, deploy it in in stocks and bonds.
7: Oh, okay.
8: Thank you so All right. much. You're welcome, your Kathy. Show. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. We appreciate your call today. Uh, 800-525-7000 to Rome, Georgia. Tim, you're next on the program. Go ahead, sir.
3: Yeah, thank you for taking my call. I have a question about uh, a fixed index annuity. I know I've heard on your uh, program before you usually don't uh, recommend them, but uh, this annuity is based on an index. from uh, You get to choose from, uh, from the uh, company, and yeah. it says that you don't get any uh, – downside in other words you can't lose money but sure. uh, but if the market's up you can you of course earn uh, based on whatever index you choose what's your uh, feeling on that
0: yeah, I think it's, it's certainly a way to transfer the risk away from yourself to the insurance company. And a lot of people do them because of what you said. The floor, you know, on the downside is nice. So what are you giving up? Well, you're giving up the upside because you're going to get a portion of the upside based on how they calculate that. You're not going to get the full value of the increase of that, uh, index, which is in part how they mitigate the risk because they're using certain investment instruments to protect you from the downside. Um, So, you know, I think the the question is just in exchange for that downside, are you willing to give up some of the upside? And I think for most folks that are long-term investors, they're saying, you know, listen, I want to keep full access to my money because with an annuity product, you're going to have surrender charges and penalties if you need to tap the money. And I'm willing to take the risk on the downside to get the long-term trend that I'm shooting for, which is, you know, the overall long-term performance of the stock market in whatever indexes you're looking at. And I think, you know, for most folks, I like that option better, even though, yes, you have the ability to lose money, you're getting the full value of the increase of the investments over time and still keeping access to your funds, which I think is the real upside of staying out of an insurance product for your investing.
3: Now, that's one thing I was kind of concerned about because they said after maybe, I think it was like five years, I could withdraw up to 10%, that's it, for a yeah. um, year
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you're locking up your money and you've got some fees and expenses built in. And then you've got, you know, the fact that you're not realizing the full upside. But for some folks who are, you know, really just, ultra concerned about the downside protection you know that's why these products are sold because there are a lot of folks that that just gives them greater peace of mind but for me I think if you got the right allocation you've got the right time horizon you know you're not overly anxious about this you can kind of see the bigger picture even in a market like this where you know the market's down on a, th- a thousand points in a given day you just kind of turn off the news and know that you know i'm I'm not in it for a week or a month or even a year I'm in it for five or ten or twenty 20 years, and the long-term trend is going to be up if we look historically. And uh, if I can do that and get full benefit of that upside compounding over time, plus still have access to my funds, then that's probably, for most folks, at least my recommendation, to go that direction. So, Tim, I hope that gives you something to think about as you ponder this one. Uh, certainly not a right or wrong decision. You need to ultimately make the decision that's most comfortable for you. We appreciate you calling today. Folks, we're going to take a quick break here on Money Wise Live when we come back uh, in our final segment, more of your calls and questions at 800 525 7000. I'm Rob West, and this is where we apply God's wisdom to your financial decisions and choices. I'm so glad you're along with us today. Stick around. We'll be right back great to have you with us today on money wise live where we apply god's wisdom to your financial decisions and choices back to the phones we go 800-525-7000 tennessee kathy thanks for calling go right ahead hi um
9: yes uh i have a a uh, 90-year-old mother who has vascular dementia, she's in the late stages, and I'm her POA. I am currently on her checking and savings account, and her save, what we do is transfer money from her savings account into checking to take care of our monthly bills. I am um, wanting to move um, this money that's in the low-interest savings account to a high-yield savings account. The The company that I'm wanting to move it to, since I already have an account there, is wanting to make me the primary and her the secondary and I don't want to do that I, I wanted her to be the primary so my question is, is is there any reason why I can't just put it in her name alone and and just continue to transfer you know as needed into her checking account when she needs the money from the high yield and just do it like I have been doing it
0: yes well, yeah, I think that'd be the only way you'd want to do it. You don't want uh, your name to be anywhere on the account. Uh, so you would have the legal authority uh, as the POA to manage their uh, bank accounts, or in this case, your mom's accounts uh, for her. And so being able to execute documents and open and close and change accounts. Uh, but you don't want to be listed on there because then that becomes, you know, you're in part an owner there, and that's really not the objective here.
9: Yeah, exactly, and that's what I kept saying. I, I want her to be the primary. It's her. It's her money, and you know when when she passes, she's got a will to take care of any anything that's remaining. So yes. Um,
0: Yeah, so I think you're just initiating, you're opening an account in her name, but as the power of attorney, you're the one executing the documents on her behalf. And, um, you know, that's done every day, and there's no reason why you can't do that. Okay. All right. That's all I needed. Okay, Kathy, thank you for calling. We appreciate it. Uh, Let's see. Illinois, Renee, you're next on the program. Go ahead.
2: Thank you for all you do. Thank Um, you. I have a... An old um, educational IRA. It's about 22 years old, and my son and I are both on it. And um, he doesn't need it for education. He went into the military, and he wants to buy a, a first-time house, first-time homeowner. And I was reading something that he could use that for first-time homeowner up to ten thousand. I think it's one time, and because my name is on it, I was wondering if I could actually give him the second portion, which is a little less than ten thousand, but um I, I don't know how that works and would that be a one time ten thousand for me as well or how does that work?
0: Yeah. That's a good question. So uh it was it's a custodial account essentially uh, this education IRA for his benefit. So you'd only be able to withdraw the $10,000 for uh, one of you, and essentially, or it, for him, uh, and he comes out penalty-free. You would still owe the taxes on it, but it would come out penalty-free up to 10000 for a first-time home purchase. Uh, but you wouldn't be able to do that twice.
8: Okay. Okay. What about if he has a spouse? Does that count as his second no. I,
0: okay. no, his IRA is in his name only. So an IRA is for one individual. It can't be joint. Okay,
8: okay. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I'm, okay, I'm Renee.
0: Yeah, all the best. Uh, And make sure you set aside the taxes on that, even though there's not a penalty as that money comes out. But uh, all the best to him as he uh, looks toward buying his first home. That's very exciting. I'm sure he's thrilled to be able to do that. And I'm glad to hear he was able to get through college and still have some money left over, which is a great thing as well. We appreciate your call. Uh, Let's stay there in Illinois, Chicago. Addie, go right ahead.
10: Hi, um, I was calling because I hear you. First off, thank you for all you you do for us, giving us information. Um, But I was—I'm really concerned. I have an 800 credit score, um, but I have several cards that have never really been used, so they're just there. But because of all you know, the fraud and this and that, it's—I want to close them, but how much will that impact my score?
0: Yes. Well, uh, the key here is, you know, I like the idea if you have extra cards for you to go ahead and start closing them. Um, I would just do it over time. So how many cards do you have that you're looking to close?
10: I'm probably looking to close at least five because they're more like um, stores that I don't really go to. Okay,
0: and are you looking to seek new credit in the next six months, buying a car or a house or something?
10: No, not at all. And I okay. do have like mixed credit cards that don't have a balance on them, but they do yeah. have high credit limits. I just okay. don't want to use them.
0: Yeah, and do you you uh, you said you do carry a balance on some of these or no?
10: Uh, no. On uh, the major credit cards, no. I have like the department store that I pay off the balance every month, Okay, and so I'm just trying to keep my score up and, you know, not have to rely on the major credit cards unless, you know, there was like an extreme emergency.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, I think the key here is that because you're paying off everything at the end of the month, no matter which card you use and you're probably only using one or two of them, Uh, closing these accounts, you know, the biggest issue would be uh, your credit utilization ratio, which means that as the accounts get closed, that limit comes out of your total available limit, uh, which then pushes the available limit down. And if you were carrying balances, those balances are a larger percentage of the limit that you have. And so that credit utilization ratio, when it trips above 30%, it's really going to start Start to pull your score down. That's really not an issue here. So really, it's just going to cre- uh, change your credit mix and maybe your credit history, because some of those perhaps older cards are now out of the equation. But any decline, uh, Addy, for you closing these is going to be minor, and it's going to be temporary. So you, if you have an 800 credit score, could you dip down to 780? Sure. But the reality is, if you're not out there getting ready to buy a house or a car, it doesn't really matter, uh, because this is going to come back, um, you know, because you're managing your money responsibly responsibly, and again, the main issue, which is credit utilization, isn't a factor for you. Um, So what I would typically recommend with five cards is you do three of them now, and then in six months, you do the other two. You know, Given that you're not out there seeking credit, if you wanted to do all five now, you could. I'd probably spread it out, but I wouldn't be concerned about the impact. Any impact is going to be small, and it's going to come back over time.
10: Okay. Thank you so much. I mean, it's yeah. I just really wanna close them. I I, I don't yeah. need them, like I said, and then it's like you almost hate even having them around in the house because I mean, God forbid something happened, you know. And, um, well, I think that's right. And
0: it's, it just will simplify your financial life. You won't have to keep up with as many accounts. And it's, uh, five less accounts that could be compromised and, uh, that you would have to, you know, deal with, you know, somebody fraudulently charging against them or something like that. So I, I like the idea of you getting rid of them. We appreciate your call, Addie. Thanks so much. Uh, to Akron, Ohio, WCRF Charlotte, you're next on the program. Go ahead.
8: Thank you so much for taking my call. I really appreciate it. Um, I have a quick question, and that is I am 60 years old. I was unemployed for a bit, but now I'm working and uh, debt-free. But I guess I needed some advice on my age. I do have going into investments and and 401Ks and like that stuff. But what would be the wisest, especially with today's climate, the wisest way to Invest and save for retirement and future while I'm also, you know, giving and doing all that.
0: Yes. Do you have a company sponsored retirement plan at work, Charlotte? Yes, sir. Okay. And are you contributing to it currently?
8: I am. I'm contributing to that. Plus, I have an old IRA and um, from that I still have with a different company, plus a designated, I think it's called designated beneficiary account. Sure.
0: Okay, and what percent of your income are you putting into your 401k? or?
8: Right now, I'm putting 10%.
0: Okay, very good. And so are you looking to put more aside because you feel like you're behind, or what is it you're really trying to accomplish?
8: Well, I know um, earlier, or up until this point, I have not really been aggressive, and I had to pull out a lot of the money that I had to kind of live on when I was uh, – unemployed and, and homeless for a while. And yeah. so I'm just kind of restocking. stocking and I just, you know, knowing the years that I have left to work, um, yeah. I just really wanted to have the best decisions.
0: Yeah. So I think two things. One is I'd try to bump that uh, contribution up to as much as you can uh, so you can get, uh, you know, as much going into that on a tax deferred basis as possible. So I'd bump that up to 15%, or you could even ask, what percent do I need to put in for me to be able to max out my annual 401k contribution? I like that a lot. And then secondly, take another look at the investment options in there and just make sure you're allocated properly based on your age and risk tolerance. And if you just stay at that, putting in the maximum every year uh, with, uh, you know, a good mix of investments and you do that uh, until you retire, I think, you know, that will certainly put you in a much better position moving forward. If you maxed it out and you had the ability to do even more, uh, you could look at, uh, you know, adding to a, a Roth IRA in addition to that. You could put in 7,000 this year as someone who's over the age of 50. So I think both of those would be great and would get uh, more money working for your future. Uh, hopefully, that helps you, Charlotte. We appreciate your call today. Uh, we're just about out of time. Nancy in Spokane, we're not going to get to your call, but I do see your question here. Your husband uh, passed away. Uh, you had a trust that you wanted to redo before he died. You all never got to it. You're wondering if you can break that trust. Uh, you know, you're going to need to check with your estate attorney, but just generally speaking, no. Uh, living. Uh, or revocable trusts become irrevocable uh, upon the death of the trust maker or makers. Uh, So it can't be altered in any way once the successor trustee takes over management of it. If it was irrevocable, then that would be the case right out of the gate. Um, So, uh, obviously, this you know stuff gets very complicated um so i would check with an estate attorney just to clarify all of this and so sorry to hear about your husband's passing folks that's going to do it for us thanks so much for being with us money wise live is a partnership between moody radio and money wise media we we'll hope you come back and join us tomorrow we'll see you there bye-bye